Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to, them, said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. We began reading today in the first verse of chapter 4. But if you were here last week, you know that we finished chapter 3 in our reading. In that last part of chapter 3, Matthew describes the baptism of Jesus. He went down to the river Jordan to be baptized. He stepped into the waters, was baptized by John the Baptist, and when he came out of the waters, you'll remember how Matthew records it probably, he says the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. It's a wonderful moment in the gospel story. For Jesus to receive this affirmation from God that he is beloved, that he has the favor of God, that God is with him. Any one of us who wants to be a faithful disciple would love to have that experience of sensing God's presence that close and that directly affirming you. But then notice in the very next verse where we began to read today, Matthew records... Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness by the very same Spirit. It was a glorious moment to receive that affirmation from God, but then in the very next moment, the same Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness to starve or fast for 40 days and 40 nights to face his temptations. When the Spirit leads you from blessing into the wilderness, sometimes it's a hard transition to make. Who wants to be all in now? Who wants to volunteer for the 40-day fast and to face all of one's temptations in the desert? It causes us to pause and consider our commitment once again. All of this month of January, that's what I'm asking you to do, to consider your commitment, where you stand in terms of your own life of faith as a follower of 
Jesus Christ. I'm using the image that struck me one night when I was watching TV. Maybe you've seen it. These guys are playing poker for real dollars. It comes to a moment where they have these giant stacks of chips in front of them and one of them or maybe sometimes more than one of them push all their chips to the middle and they say I'm all in and they're risking everything on that one move it's that pivotal moment I want us to consider this month in terms of our commitment to Christ and whether or not we're ready to risk it all as a follower of Jesus Christ are you ready to go all in as a Christ follower, are you ready to risk all you have and all you are that God was alive and at work in Christ and it makes all the difference in your life whether or not you maintain your commitment as a follower of His? It was 1739. John Wesley was an ordained Episcopalian priest. He was also a professor at Oxford. The Methodist movement had not yet begun. And some people came to him seeking some deeper discipleship, wanting some guidance and direction, and asking him if he would help. After talking with them, he discerned that they were earnest in their desire to go deeper in their faith, or to be all in, if you will. And he says they agreed that they would meet on Thursday evenings for prayer and practical instruction. And out of that meeting grew the Methodist movement. And as a part of the Methodist movement, then John Wesley wrote some instructions for those who were seeking to live out their salvation to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. He came up with what is known in Methodism as the general rules. There are three of them. Today we're going to talk about the first one. Next week we'll talk about the next two. The very first one serves as our sermon title today, Do No Harm. I want to read to you what Wesley wrote because he's saying to these people what he expects of them if they're going to be a follower of Christ in the way that he understands it. He writes it this way, It is therefore expected of all who continue therein that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation first, by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced. How does that sound to you as a place to start? If you want to work out your Christian walk, if you want to evaluate how you're doing, first start by making sure you're doing no harm and avoiding evil of every kind. He goes on to say, especially those things that are generally practiced, you might wonder what that would be in 1739 and the 1700s. Well, Wesley was a very detailed person, so he wrote it down. We still have it. I'm going to read it to you. He said there were ten things he wanted them to pay attention to. The taking of the name of God in vain. The profaning the day of the Lord, either by doing ordinary work therein or by buying and selling. Drunkenness, buying or selling spiritus liquors or drinking them unless in cases of extreme necessity. <laughs> Guess that's your call. <laughs> Slaveholding, buying or selling slaves, fighting, quarreling, brawling, brother going to law with brother, returning evil for evil or railing for railing, the using many words in buying and selling, the buying or selling goods that have not paid the duty, 
the giving or taking things on usury, that is unlawful interest, uncharitable or unprofitable conversation, particularly speaking evil of magistrates or of ministers, doing to others as we would not they should do unto us, doing what we know is not for the glory of God. And then he lists several specifics, the putting on of gold and costly apparel, the taking such diversions as cannot be used in the name of the Lord Jesus, the singing those songs or reading those books which do not tend to the knowledge or love of God, softness and needless self-indulgence, laying up treasure upon earth, borrowing without a probability of paying, or taking up goods without a probability of paying for them. That's what Wesley was thinking about in terms of doing no harm or being involved in evil. Some of those sound outdated and as unnecessary, things we might disregard. And yet I think they show us how serious and searching these would-be Christ followers were. I think they were very earnest in their attempt to model a Christian life, to embody all that it might mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think even though some of the language sounds outdated, it might still be useful for us in evaluating our own Christian walk to look closely at our actions and how we live. I think in this day and age, at least for me, it's easily to get distracted, easily dilute our faith to get diluted by things going on around us if we're not paying attention. I think of how I deal with Sundays. Wesley says, it's harm if you profane the day of the Lord, that's how he phrased it, either by doing ordinary work therein or by buying and selling. Now you can say, that's ridiculous. I'm going to go to Target if I want to this afternoon. Or you could say, is there something of value that perhaps I lose if I do not set a whole day aside each and every week to the observance of God? It's something we have to decide as followers of Christ. I think of number four there on the list, slaveholding, buying or selling slaves. It would be easy to say, none of us own slaves, so it's no problem. And yet on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I think of the history of racism in our country and how closely it was tied in our history with holding slaves. And even though we're not slaveholders, the vestiges of our history, I think, still create some thorny issues for us in our country around race. And for us, particularly as Christians, I think about Sunday mornings and how segregated most of our Christian houses of worship still are. It reminded me of a movie I saw a few years ago, The Great Debaters. It's a true story about a group of debaters from Wiley College. Now, unless you're from Texas, you may not have heard of Wiley College, but I'll tell you it's one of our United Methodist Colleges, one that we started. It's what we call an historically black college that was started in the days that we were trying to come out of segregation, and yet 
opportunities for higher education for African Americans just weren't open. We started a series of colleges creating higher education opportunities. Wiley College, Marshall, Texas was one of those. It's still an operations day, still a fine school. But the movie deals with a time in the 1930s. A new professor came to campus. He was to be the debate coach. He was outstanding, Professor Tolson. And his students became outstanding debaters. They began to debate and win with other colleges one after another. They took on colleges much bigger than they were. They began to take on some white colleges. They won one debate tournament after another. Their reputation and notoriety was growing. It gave the students a wonderful opportunity to travel further than most of them had ever traveled. It was all really fun and really exciting until one night they were driving home from a debate tournament on the back roads of Texas and they came around a corner and there were a group of people blocking the road. They slowed their speed. As they got closer, they could see that it was all white people except for one man who was hanging from a tree who had been lynched and burned. It was a grisly sight. But when the mob saw the color of the faces in the car, they rushed toward them. They began to throw stones and curse at them. They were able to back up and turn around and get away without harm that night. How many want to be all in now? When the road takes a different turn. When the Spirit, as Matthew tells it, leads you from blessing into wilderness or into conflict, or into danger, or into a time of risk, who wants to be all in then? It causes us to look a little closer at our commitment as a follower of Christ and how high that is on the priority list and how committed we are to sharing the love of God through Jesus Christ in any and all circumstances. In our text... Matthew describes this story. We've read about the birth of Christ and then the baptism and now this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And the same Spirit who blesses Jesus in the baptism, at least Matthew understands, is the one that leads Jesus into the wilderness to face these temptations.